Chapter 18 and 19 of The Bridge of History Over the Gulf of Time, a popular view of the historical evidence for the truth of Christianity, by Thomas Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brett W. Downey. Chapter 18 and 19 The Arch of the Fathers, The Arch of the Apostles. We have now but two centuries remaining, the second and the first. What shall we call these remaining arches of our bridge of history? I propose that we call the second century the Arch of the Fathers, and the first century the Arch of the Apostles. I propose now that we take our steps more slowly and very circumspectly. If we miss the object of our search through haste, our journey will have been spent in vain and our time thrown away. The Arch of the Fathers. Pray, who really were the Fathers of the Church, as they are called? Some of you will ask. The reply is that they were the believing writers on the facts of the Christian history and the teachers of its doctrines from the time of the last of the apostles to about the seventh century. Some called Theophylact, who lived in the tenth century, the last of the apostles. But after the time of the first Pope Gregory, Gregory the Good, as I have called him, you may consider the catalogue closed. And of these, the fathers who lived and wrote in the second and third centuries are the most important to our inquiry. You will see how important the memory of the fathers is to us when I rehearse to you the substance of a note on one of the pages of a biography that young Christian men should read. The Lives of the Haldanes The brothers Haldane were wealthy Scottish gentlemen at the beginning of the present century who became evangelically pious and performed great and good service in the Christian world. The note I refer to in that book relates how Dr. Buchanan was dining with a literary party at the house of the father of Sir Ralph Abercrombie, the general who died in Egypt, when a gentleman in the company put this question to them. If every copy of the New Testament had been destroyed at the end of the third century, for it was then, you will remember, when Diocletian was engaged in his nefarious attempt to extinguish the book, whether it could have been recovered again from the extracts made from it in the works of the fathers of the second and third centuries. The question startled the company, but none could answer it. Two months afterwards, Dr. Buchanan says he called on Sir David Dalrymple, or Lord Hales, as he was called, the Scotch judge, and he pointed to a table covered with books and papers and said, Look at these. You remember the strange question about the fathers and the New Testament, which was put by one of the company at Mr. Abercrombie's two months ago? Dr. Buchanan said he remembered it well. That question roused my curiosity, said Sir David Dalrymple, and as I knew I possessed all the extant fathers of the second and third centuries, I commenced the search, and, up to this present time, have found the entire New Testament, all but eleven verses. Now, do you see the immense importance to us, in our inquiry, of a fact like that? That in the extant writings of the fathers of the second and third centuries, the entire New Testament, except eleven verses, can be found in the form of quotations? Remember that we have lost many of the works of the fathers in those centuries, and think the more of this important fact. What does it lead us to conclude? That the Christians of those centuries valued the New Testament very highly. Our Chillingworth says, The Bible is the religion of Protestants. But the New Testament was the religion of the early Christian church. They must have fed upon it as their daily and hourly spiritual food, they must have quoted it in their prayers and conversations, as well as in their letters and sermons and homilies and commentaries, 
it must have been very precious to them. Three of the most eminent of the fathers were living within the last quarter of the second century, which will take us back to the year 175, a year that I want specially to fix in your memories. The fathers I mean are Tertullian, Irenaeus, and Clement of Alexandria. Tertullian ascribes the four Gospels to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In his extant works he makes 2,500 references to the New Testament. 700 of these are references to the Gospels, and 200 of these again are to John's Gospel. He quotes from every chapter of Matthew, Luke, and John. Arrhenius also attributes the four Gospels to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In his extant works he makes 1,200 references to the New Testament. 400 of these are references to the Gospels, and 80 of these again are to John's Gospel. Clement of Alexandria also calls the four Gospels by the names of Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John, for that is the order in which he places the evangelists. He makes 320 references to the New Testament in his extant works, which are few compared to those of Tertullian. I said just now that I wish to impress the memory of the year 175 on your minds, and I want now to begin to show you the reason of it. Hitherto we have been keeping in view but one of the theories devised by skeptical writers to account for the existence of the Christian religion, while denying its truth. The Sun Theory, that theory of Sir William Drummond and Godfrey Higgins and Dupuy and Volney, which was popularized in London over forty years ago by the Reverend Robert Taylor, or, as Henry Hunt styled him, the Devil's Chaplain. Let us now look at the more modern theory, which has destroyed the popularity of the Sun Theory, with many of the skeptics of our own time. The mythical theory of Strauss and Renan, for although there is great difference in the spirit and manner of the German and French theorists, I think we may well consider them together. End of chapter Recording by Brett Downey.